Okay, this meeting is being live streamed. And I think we are up and running. There we go. Hello and welcome everybody to another session in the Inner Sanctum online sessions with Karen Swain. And today we have our very special guest teacher back with us, Francis Reiki. Welcome, Francis. So great to have you with us again. Thank you. Thank you. So, so exciting. So, go on. So glad to be here. You know, I always love being with you in particular and speaking about the subject so dear to my heart. Yeah, well, we're going to talk about a few things today. Actually, I'm just uh, I'm just looking at the tech here, trying to organize the tech. So you've got a new book out, which is exciting, very exciting, exciting. And so we're going to chat about that. But Francis is for people that haven't met Francis before who are listening to the live stream or the recording later. Francis is a channel and a medium and the scribe of the team book series, A Mother's Wisdom from the Other Side. I call it exalted spiritual wisdom, which flowed to her originally from her mother, Gloria Crystal Teddy Key, after her transition in 2010. And uh, she's written a couple of books since scribing for the four books called The Teams. And we were just chatting about it before I pressed the recording or pressed the live streaming. And a lot of people who are on Zoom with us have read book one. Uh, over and over again which is kind of interesting because we've talked extensively about the books and I think I remember you saying that book four which came out a bit later than the, the the original three books is kind of like an expansion of all the three books like the concepts that were addressed in the first books are expanded in book four is that is that yes. right have I got that right yes I I would say that book one and in fact, this is the, the way the books came to be was that the first book was very much my mother's energy and her words and her manner of expression. And everything in book one is like a seed. It's like a kernel, a little tidbit of something is mentioned, which the later books go into in great depth. So it's remarkable, really, because. I have gone through all these books and there is not one thing I have read, even in book four, that didn't have some hint or some uh, initial introduction in book one. But in book two, three, and four, and particularly book two and three, uh, the, the development of each of those concepts occurs and other teammates became present beyond my mother. I think once the door was open and the trust was there uh, and the and the free flowingness was going on, then um, you as you read through two and three, you find and four, you find that uh, the tone in some of the chapters, not all of them, but some of them change. They're more scientific, they're more philosophical. Uh, they have information that I certainly uh, don't I was not privy to before the books were written. Uh, about the human body, about the spiritual body. Uh, and, and you just become aware of the energy of many, uh, I've got a technical, okay. Many other things that, that come up in these, in these books. It's, it's really incredible. 
Now, book four, book four was a clear attempt by this team that channeled this material, that gave us all this material, uh, to make sure that we knew that nobody is supposed to take the team books and make a dogma out of them or say, okay, now we have it. Now we have uh, the answers. That everything in those books are supposed to lead us beyond it. In fact, book four is called Beyond the Team. And also, it expands on the concept of time in a way that the other books only touch upon. That is really powerful. And it says in the beginning of book four, read the first seven chapters because it lays the foundation of understanding this uh, multiple aspects of the soul and, and the concept of timelessness that all the rest refer to. So book four is very unique. It's much more Zen in parts than the other books. And it's also much more stern. There's at times a, um, well, uh, maybe stern isn't the best word, but it's very direct and a bit challenging. So I encourage everyone to read them, try to read them in the order they were given. I notice uh, in, when I look at some of the orders that come through, people are ordering sometimes book one and book four. And I think that's fine in a way. I think whatever somebody's led to do, they're going to do and they're going to get, find what they need. But I do think taking the time, if you really want to study the material, to go through those earlier books is uh, well worth it. And I do understand it's, it's a lengthy process because there's a great deal of information there. Yeah, I, I don't know if I said this before, but I call them mandatory reading for anyone on a spiritual path yeah. and you know I've discussed this with you many times before but it's worth repeating over and over again uh, when I first read the books having showcased spiritual teachers and consciousness teachers for years I really felt it was the next step that we all needed to understand because a lot of spiritual teachers are talking about love which is very needed in yeah. this world uh, where we're marinating in fear to return to love <clears throat> hence the title of my first book return to love but this book is addressing unity. It's, it's addressing the dissolving of the concept of separation, that we're separate to each other, that we're separate to who we are as spirit or our spirit guides or our, or our angelic team. Because as humans, we, we, we find these, you know, we get a hold of these concepts and we talk about them in a three-dimensional way way like you know the angels are over there and you're here and the masters and you know the, the team yeah. talks about no we're all in this together it's all, we're all a team we're all one and we just have different um missions if you like different intentions both in spirit and while we're on the physical do you want to talk about that for a little bit francis about sort of unification of spirit well, through the book um yes there's actually uh a point in the book where we're told that well there there a lot of people are a little concerned that if they open themselves up to their team because we're told you are not alone you're not even functioning as one person nobody is or you are a member of a spiritual team and 
what this really means is that we are a rep representative in the sort sense of our team and that at times our team is flowing through us and we think we're doing everything on our own or we think we're making decisions or we think we're accomplishing things as individuals, but really our team is working through us. And some people are uncomfortable with that because that, that feeling I'm an individual, I'm doing it myself, this is my path, is kind of drilled into us. But really and truly, it, it, it's sort of like if you sit at your computer and invite somebody to kind of, can you come over here and help me and put your hands on my computer for a moment? Can you, you know, type this in and can you put that code for me that I can't quite do? Um, it, it really is that way. And it isn't anything to be afraid of. And it's going on all the time, whether we acknowledge it or not. So being aware of it is, can be a really powerful thing. In fact, we're told that even the concept of karma uh, works that way because we think, like you said, we tell ourselves these linear stories. We interpret as best we can with our human brain, you know, of, of our incarnations. That we come to Earth, we learn lessons, we die, we reevaluate, we come back, we learn, and so forth. But she says karma, karma, and reincarnation are much broader than that. That when we return to our team and we are, we share all this information, anything we've gained anything we've learned, we are going to be able to infuse them with. And so our teammates do not have to physically incarnate to get that information, get that experience. They can experience it through us and we experience through them. And in that way, everything's leveraged, all the gains, all the wisdom, all the experiences, personal and the, and the, the strength and the compassion that we gain from those experiences, they're all leveraged. They're all uh, accessible for everybody. It's everybody's life. It's everybody's gain. So not only is our life not always our, our own, our, uh, our wisdom and our growth is not only our own, and therefore our karma is not always our own, because we can come in and say, I'm going to pick up where you left off to my teammate. I'm going to take over from there, just like we do with our jobs, with our family, with our friends. We see it all the time. I'm going to pick up that suitcase in the, in the airport and carry it for you because it's a little heavy for you right now. We do the simplest things, but we do it spiritually with our teammates as well. So in this way, we are truly unified. And then she pointed out that once we have this concept of a team, we can understand that the teams overlap and become leagues. And, and she gave the names, leagues and legions and and so forth, until everything, as it says in book one, go beyond the team and don't lean on the team as like this fixed thing, because the truth is, we're only talking about a team because as human beings in this mind, we need to look at it that way. But really, it's all one being. Yeah. And it's when you go being. teams that overlap and overlap and overlap, eventually, it's, it's just all one. Yeah. 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 Because what you're talking about is, is exactly what I've experienced with what I call my, my mob or my guides or blissful yeah. beings. You know, I've given them a few names over the years. Yeah. And um, when I'm a young girl trying to understand all this stuff, I'm thinking I'm speaking to one person and I need some name. I need some yeah. label, some name, you know, Kathy, sure. George, you know, God, whatever, some name. And I'm not getting a name. And I'm pretty sure that my 
team mob were like laughing at the young girl falling around in this third dimensional experience, trying to um, to receive this exalted wisdom through a linear mind and this yeah. singularity. You know? and, right. uh, and then they said to me, oh, God, Karen, we've been, you know, we've been so many so many identities pick one and we'll show up as one if you really need an identity <laughs> i thought that was so funny but that's exactly what i've experienced this yeah. ever greater expansion of what i call the mob being this stream of consciousness which is vast absolutely vast and originally i called it my common sense because i was thinking it was me me i me 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 yeah. and then when i started to become aware that it's more than me then my awareness of this more just kept expanding. And I'm not special. This is everybody, right? And this is what you experienced. In fact, you know, we've gone over this many times, but the way that I was thinking about this this morning, Francis, lying in bed, the way the team books came through to you and what you experienced, the energy that you experienced during the time that you were scribing the information, because you have said that you were in a... Uh, a different, a, a more exalted, more peaceful, more harmonious state of being as a human on earth. Do you want to just explain to people what you experienced and can we all get to that, that place, you know? You know, I think when it happened that it, uh, Okay, well, for those who are not aware, I'll just briefly describe that I'd had a very, I'd always been a natural medium, always had a, a, an awareness of the other side, had spontaneous connections with people who had passed. And I felt like I would with my mother, but I had no idea it could possibly come in the manner in which it did. 19 days after she died, I was looking out the window of an airplane as I flew to visit my daughters who live in New York. And I spoke to her in my mind. I asked her the question, mother, is there any distance for you? And I heard her answer me. It was in my mind, but it is true that it was audible. And I, I resisted saying that for a while because I thought, I thought you know, people just couldn't take it. My, my family members just couldn't take it. So I just said, you know, but it was, it was in my mind, it was in my being, it was like, physically, I could hear it, but it was more permeating my soul. And so we began this communication on the plane that I thought would probably end, it was a, an experience I was having, but it went on for a long time, years. And in the first year, uh, after it, it was this endless constant steady flow night and day truly i mean i could wake up out of sleep and hear it uh, of information of information about how to live our lives about about the other side about uh this system this real system that was in place and about the beauty of our teams and all the ways we're interacting boots on the ground uh, souls in the lookout tower calling down to us, you know, and we in giving them information back. So many analogies in book one are given of that sort. But the way it affected me was just a few days after it began, I went to my sister 
And I said, you know, I feel like all, by the way, my name's Francis, but my nickname is Frankie. I said, I feel like all the Frankiness has died. And I, I knew what I meant. It, it just meant like all the, the heaviness of, of anything physical that hurt me, which I had a lot of back and neck problems. Uh, I'd always had emotional swings that would cause me to lose my temper and get really emotional that I regretted. That was gone. It's been gone for 12 and a half years and has never come back. Um, I had this incredible energy. I felt like I was, you know, a teenager again. Um, 12 years ago, I would have been 58. I'm 70 now. And it just took over with this. And, and I didn't need to sleep. I barely needed to eat. I was electrified. And this information, I just had, had to handwrite it. That's the only way I could do it. Uh, it was just constant. I would have to pull over on the side of the road to write things down. And everything was so incredibly, it was like I was seeing everything through eyes of a, of a little child. Like I remember looking at trees coming out of the earth and I just wanted to just, just cry over, look at this creature that comes out of the ground. Look at it and look at the, what it does. I mean, it was like I'd never seen it before. It was like something, uh, you know, as adults, we go through life and we don't see things that we haven't seen very often. Most of the time we're seeing familiar stuff. But to be able to look at the most ordinary things through these extraordinary eyes was almost trippy. It was like somebody describes being on a drug, to be honest. So that's what it was like. And I was completely enveloped with uh, the beauty and the power of that information. It was life transforming and it had a, a physical effect on me that lasted a very, very long time. And still to this day uh, comes and goes. And whenever I speak about it like this, whenever I teach about it, it's all there again. It, it, it revolutionizes me uh physically as well as spiritually so when you speak about it do you feel that same frequency energy that you felt when you were you know during yeah. that time because that's what i was thinking about this morning i'm lying in bed and i'm sort of addressing some of the pain in my body and i'm like I want to be like Frances was when she was scribing the team books. How can I live in that state of frequency is what I'm thinking. Right. Like, how can I live in that state of frequency? And yeah. as I'm listening to you and you said you were looking at mundane things with new eyes, it's almost like you were open to um, receive in your physical body energies that were not physically focused. So like spirit was flowing through you and getting to experience this um, earth experience. Yeah. Like, did you, do you know what I mean? That's what I felt like when you were just, just describing it then. It's like a walk-in experience almost, like allowing, yes. like opening uh, and allowing more. Yeah, so go on. Well, about that walk-in concept, which I had was totally unfamiliar with and had never heard about, but as I have been doing these interviews I've heard about many things that I wasn't aware of right um, yeah what I've come to to understand fully and it's really 
it's expressed through all the books, but it's really well expressed in book four, is that we have multiple aspects to our soul, just like we have multiple aspects to our brain. And I know I sound repetitious because I say this on every show, but the best analogy is to say how the brain has an area for language and for math and for spatial relationships, uh, for, for memory of scent, for memory of this and that. We have all these segments to our physical brain that have been researched and proven. And the soul is the same way. And so aspects, an aspect or a few aspects of the soul come in with a particular body. Other aspects of us are not here. We need to learn other things. Those aspects need to work elsewhere, and they do. Some of them are right here on the earth, maybe across the planet of our own being. Parts of us of our own being are there. Some of us are on the other side with our team, helping to work with the team and direct this aspect from a higher perspective. And so when you talk about a walk-in, um, which sounds a little bit like some other, something else is taking over. What was, what I have come to understand and I'm sure occurred with me because I became a different person uh, is that a different aspect. It's time for, when I said the frankiness in me seems to have died, some aspect of me was, had achieved what it had come to do and had left. And another aspect had come in of my very own soul, a higher one, a more developed one that was able to function in this way. So that is to me, the real meaning and the, the uh, clearest explanation of what really happens with this walk-in or interchange of something within a person. And, so, and sometimes people say, I'm a new person and they are because sometimes we finish with something, we, that aspect returns to do something else somewhere else, and another aspect comes in to continue the journey. It's almost like reincarnation without dying. Just without having the physical body stop, this switch is made. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, reincarnation without dying. Yeah, go on. Yeah. But I know what you mean about the aches and pains when you wake up and the aging process, all of that, you know, uh, I do not, uh, like right now, as I'm speaking to you, I am okay. energized and pain-free. Right. But I have taught, but I have had been in and out of the hospital, all kinds of things have gone on over the years. And I don't know, uh, I know you, you, you say you'd like to stay in that state. It, it must be that most of us, aren't here to stay in that state yeah most really are here to to feel the contrast and learn from the contrast and i certainly yeah. have the contrast going on in my life personally too so yeah. i don't know the answer to anybody staying in that state at all times but yeah, it is, is something that is i've never forgotten and when i read the books i have to say when i read the books i am transmuted instantly I usually just fill up with tears because I can't believe that I I was even part of a process with this team to bring that material in I'm just so humbled by it yeah. I'm such a student of it you know yeah 
when you say, I don't think we're here to stay in that state because we're here to experience the contrast, I think that's very true. But I also think that that state is a glimpse yes. of where we're heading collectively as a human race. It's like the longer we can stay in that state, the more we allow that state, other people access to that state collectively. Yeah. Uh, so because I remember over 10 years ago, about 10 years ago, I was doing a talk for a friend of mine who's Jewish. It was a group of Jewish women. And I'm talking about spirituality to a group of Jewish women, which I thought, well, this is going to be interesting. Anyway, some of them wanted to like fight me on stuff and some of them loved it. It was a very interesting talk. But it was right when I had started menopause and I was suffering greatly. I was flushing, hot flushing. You guys call it flashing. Every yeah. five minutes, it was exhausting and I was a mess. Oh, yeah. But for the two hours that I stood up and spoke in front of this group of women, I had no symptoms. Like I was completely pain-free, as you say, but yeah. no symptoms of the hot flashing. And I remember thinking, wow, wow. So that's the cure is to get into that state, yeah. whatever that state is of yeah. opening, yes. like channeling, opening to spirit and like all your pain and all your symptoms disappear. Yeah. Yes. And I've, you know, I've been told this by uh, I'm, I'm friends with a, a particular medium who has been on stage with uh, a lot of well known mediums. And she said one time she remembered, well, I'll say her name because she's, you, you may know her. And she's this wonderful, she's in Australia, Marilyn Wall. And she has, uh, uh, does work with James von Prague and, and John Edwards. And all kinds of people. And she said one time they went somewhere and she was so sick. She truly had the flu and they were gonna go on stage. And she thought, you know, how can I do this? And she did, and it vanished. For those hours, it vanished. And so I think what happens is anytime we raise our vibration through any kind of service, spiritual service, we're given great assistance. And that assistance is done through vibration. I mean, we don't have this being physically in front of us, do we? We can't see them. They're there, but we can't see them. So it, it's all a vibration and we're just infused with it. And that's what happens. And so the more often we go into that state, uh, through meditation, through service, whatever it is, whatever the process is that we are involved in, and it's different for different people, um, that is the most healing modality because it's all vibration. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Pat has a question here. Do you want to come? Do you want to come or shall I just read out your question? Where's Pat? All right, Pat. Do you, want to, do you want to come on camera? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah, yeah. Let me unmute you. It's uh, nice, to see nice to see people. <laughs> uh, oh, 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 damn, I've done something wrong here. Sorry, I'm swearing away. Where is Frances? <laughs> I see Pat. I see Pat. There she is. <laughs> Hi. You, when you were talking about the aspect that comes in, like a walk-in, for example, the thought came to mind, is that aspect an aspect of our soul, our overall soul, or an aspect of the one or the oneness or source, however you want to call it. 
Well, every aspect of our soul is part of the oneness. Okay. So there's really no difference. Distinction. I, I, I just think that it, it feels and appears to us when we're in the physical form that um, because we do, we are in this time restraint that we are, are with the human body, uh, that we need this, this picture, this concept of the team and these aspects uh, to, to make it work with this dimension that we're in. So that's how it works for us. But if you go out far enough with anything, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you, like everyone, has seen the incredible videos online that, that take you from the pupil of somebody's eye and goes out into the space and then comes back to the pupil of the eye and then goes into the human body to the tiniest little uh, cell within the body and then back out. And it shows, it depends where, how far out you go and how close in you come, whether you're going to call it an aspect of the soul or the one. Thank you. Yeah. Please. And also, can I ask one more? Oh yeah, please. You just, you just, you just spoke of the, of being out there, going out there, right? In that particular example. Uh-huh. But I also always have flashes that it's really not out there. It's really within. So that's always a question that I still play with. You know, is, 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 that, is that just an illusion because everything's really within? Well. Happening at the same time. Um, <laughs> yeah, there really is no not, inner not within or pad, outer. Not within pad, I'm sorry. Not within pad, but within. What do you mean by within? Then you have a, another meaning for that word. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm speaking of within as universal mind or universal consciousness or God. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay, state your original question that the first statement you said about that. Is it without or within? Is that what you're saying? It's like those two words sometimes become interchangeable because really there is no out there. Yes, it's all there within. is no out there. There's a chapter in book four that says you're already here and we are already there. And there's another chapter that says uh, you're not alive because you're not dead. Mm -hmm. So exactly what, what you're saying. Um, I'm trying to think of the most, uh, the best analogy in the book to give you that, that describes what you're saying. But I want to point out something very empowering to me is the concept of the soul in the team. It's not that the soul is in the body but that the body is inside the soul. Yes, yes, okay. So the soul, there's no soul stuck inside this body, trapped and, and trying to, to work its way. The soul is vast and enormous, and it flows in and out of this body. And that's why different aspects can come in and do different things at different times and bring some teammates in. It's just a, like a wind flowing throughout and animating this body. Um, but because it's so vast, the soul is so vast, your individual identity is so vast and can flow through this body, it's always connected to this vastness 
of source of all information connected to the other aspects of your own individual identity, which only appears as an individual for cert at certain times for certain purposes, but it is truly part of the collective. And like we said, if you go far enough out, there is no individual soul. So I think that if you maintain that idea that you're, this body is walking around inside this incredible, if you want to think of it as a shimmering cloud of light, rather than this little flicker of light that's stuck inside the body, I think it, it can help with what you're describing. And I agree with you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anybody else have another question? Here, I'm back. Thanks. I love Pat. the questions. I love yeah. the questions. They're great. Thanks, Pat. Um, yeah. Let me just, uh, here we go. You know, as I'm thinking about what you're talking about right now, about the oneness of who we are, uh, the thought occurs to me, well, they've given me the thought that because we are that oneness, that that vastness, that all-encompassing collective unity, I don't find words for it, I don't know, that aspect of that, the soul, the, the, the spirit of us revels in the opportunity to experience the singularity, to experience the mind-body yeah. personality complex. Yeah. And and all that encompasses that, the ego and, you know, getting upset and feeling alone and feeling sick and feeling pain. And because we are always this expanded, unified field, a part of the unified quantum soup, the fact that we can come into this experience of separateness is so, I don't know, revered by the soul, don't you think? That's just something that occurred to me. It's something we're here, we've chosen to come to experience. We have chosen to experience individuality. And in experiencing that individuality, to experience the empowerment that comes when we reconnect with our full selves and our team. It, it's... It's, it's simply an experience that we've come to see what it's like. And we develop certain spiritual skills. It's a workout gym for the soul. Certain aspects come in that need to strengthen certain muscles. And it's, you know what it really, the word that I really think is most powerful for it, it's a focus. It's sort of like when you go to the gym and you want to focus on a certain set of muscles. Or if you go to a particular class, that's going to really focus on one bit of information in school. Or if you drill yourself over and over on a scale on the piano, focus, 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 focus. Why? Because you want to take that one focus skill and you want to integrate it with your full self, with your team and with the whole universe. I mean, we return to the other side after this lifetime with all kinds of new information, skills, and that we've developed through this focus. And we share it, and everybody benefits. And every team that grows then uh, lifts uh, others around them. You know, the, the team that wrote these books say at the end of book four, 
that they were moving on, that this was a project, that they had completed it, that it wasn't goodbye because they're always connected, but that this pro that this accomplishment, if you want to say that, had had allowed them in a sense to to die to the level they were at and and be born. And that doesn't mean coming back to the earth or any of that. It simply means without dying, reincarnating, but moving upward, moving upward to another dimension. Yeah, evolving. By finishing, by finish that work, by finishing wow. that work. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. Okay, there's a couple of questions here from Lorenzo. Do you want to come on camera, honey one? Where are you, Lorenzo? You want to come on camera? Hello, thank you, Karen. Hello, Francis. Yeah. How are you? Hi. Hang on, I, I just great. Thank you, for, thank you for sparing the time today to come talk to us. Um, oh, it's a pleasure. <laughs> my question is: Are you familiar with the concept, the shamanic practice of soul retrieval, and how does that, you know, align with the soul aspect theory or concept? Ah, uh, I'm not familiar. I've heard those words, and I don't really know. You would need to explain to me what it means to you for me to be able to, to, to relate it to the books. What does that mean to you? So my understanding of soul retrieval is that during our time here in reincarnation, in certain lives, we have certain wounds that we don't heal, heal completely from before we transition on to reincarnate. And then these wounds fracture our souls and it leaves a piece there. And that we're incomplete when we move on through these different carnations. And the practice of soul retrieval is that you go back into that life to find that wound, to heal, to realign that piece ah. of your soul with yourself so that you become complete again. Oh, that's beautiful in a way. And painful in a way to think of. I don't think that we are wounded and fractured in such a way that uh we're damaged okay i think the soul is always uh whole but chooses to to come into experiences um like i said for focus and for growth but what you just mentioned makes me think about one of the very a concept that's given in book four more deeply, but also in the other books, it's there. The idea that um, that what we're doing in the present at all times, of course, we're living in the present. And what we're doing is affecting not only the future. We are, it's easy for us to understand cause and effect. What I'm doing now is going to affect the future, but it's affecting the past. Everything, when you drop the stone in the middle of the water, the ripples go in all directions, not just into one direction, the future, but in all directions, which means it's going into the past. And because we think of our time like this, but it really isn't in the spiritual sense, time is like this, all events are stacked upon one another, they're not all lengthened out, like we're experiencing it here. Um, it is because that's our reality here, but in the vaster way, it is on top of each other. And so 
the soul, when whatever we do now, this ripples back into the past, what we call the past anyway, and elevates it. So our elevated understanding of today, not only is changing our future to be more elevated, but it's elevating our past and it's healing and restoring those events. And this is happening even history. Even though we're still writing in the history book, all these things have occurred and they did occur. The elevated consciousness that comes up now is reaching back and healing and transforming all of those events. And it does that with our, the aspect of our soul that was in that particular lifetime as well. So I think it relates to what you're saying. And I have to say, for those of you who don't know, I did write a, a novel to try to explain how this might happen in a person's life. And then the name of the novel is The Train to Hofhausen, spelled H-O-F-F-E-H-A-U-S-E-N, uh, a mythical German town, Hofhausen. The Train to Hofhausen tells a story of two women's lives, and it's exactly that, that the act actions of one woman is retroactively going back and healing the aspect of her soul that is in a past life, although it's put in an action form, a story form, and not so much that way per se. But anyway, I think, I think that's what the team book would have to say about that concept of soul retrieval. Yeah, beautiful. So interesting. Thank, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Oh, thank you. Thank you, thank you Lorenzo. Uh, yeah. It's like thinking of the past the way spirit would, you know, experience the tragedy or the dramas in this third dimension, yeah. not as like when we think of the atrocities of the past, not as atrocities, but how did humanity grow out of that experience? Yeah. Yeah. Seeing that aspect instead of crying over the atrocity, like, yeah, it could, yeah. That focus on, focus on our present Evolvement of consciousness socially, emotionally, physically, every ecologically, every way, wherever we're called to serve. Because yeah. that is transforming the energy, the vibration of the past. And by that transforming, it will raise up and it will flow forward and, and energize the future even more. But just yeah. keep in mind that simple analogy of dropping that rock in the pond and those ripples are going everywhere, not just in one direction. Everything's Beautiful. being changed. I know. I got, I got through the first line of your intro of the bio and um, I was going to mention the train to Hofhausen and the next book that we're going to talk about. Oh, that's okay. I just <laughs> so had we to got, say it then because we got straight into it. It, it helps people sometimes to read uh, in story form, you know, yeah, something definitely. like that. Yeah, Definitely. it makes it easier to understand, not so abstract. But, so Shirley has a question here. Do you want to come on camera, honey? Where are you? Because I know that you said, is that a yes or a no? It's okay. Sure. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, do you want to ask uh, your question to Francis? Uh, um, just there's just so much firing in my brain. There's so many questions. So I I I really just want to 
um, keep listening. Um, I think you've touched on it, like consciousness, um, thinking about it as um, an aspect of the soul, like thinking about parts of the soul. I just feel like we're a bunch of, of, my grandson told me yesterday that grandma, life is a game. It's a game. And I I just, I I learned so much when he has sleepovers, right? And (laughs) and so ripple, I said to my daughter, I said, oh, I've done so much um, of this wonderful healing that it's, um, you know, daughter, um, your your life is in turmoil right now because it's so rocky and and I can see the waves like the ripple. It's like, she's in it. And I said, the good news is that the past has changed. And and I said, just all the people who had all those, those, the the power people in our lives who, who dominated us and it was all dark and scary and, and we had no voice. I said, they have no power anymore. It's all different. And, and all of that, our family is different and it, it is, it's like we rewrote the past, right? And it's and yes. and scavenge on a scavenger hunt, like running around trying to find all this cool information and like, like who you know, there, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot said in the books and I've, I've heard it from other people. I mean, it's just so valid the way we frame our story, our life story or our family story or even history the way we frame things is is so powerful. I mean, you, you you hear it all the time, and you see it. I I work with I've worked with children. And I have so many grandchildren. I'm, you know, it, it, a perfect example would be a child. You know, uh, one of my granddaughters. It doesn't matter what goes wrong. Everything's sunshine. Everything's wonderful. Well. We can do it this way instead. Well, that wasn't so bad. We can fix it. Or, oh, well, at least we've got the chance to do that, you know. And then another one is the end of the world. You know, the slightest thing, toys broken, whatever, the end of the world. So how, how we frame the experience and the collective experience, uh, it's very therapeutic to write a new story mm-hmm. and to... It doesn't mean you sugarcoat and you deny, but I don't know. It, it's just uh, these vibrations came together in the form of human beings. These vibrations had this experience. What have we learned? And look where we are now. Look what we ha- have learned how to do. Look how we know how to choose. Um, I'm just with you on that. It's and and we can expand it out to include everything, everything that happens that we, we say happens to us, that that we happen with, <laughs> that we happen with. I'm just gonna step back and keep enjoying and absorbing and thank you so much for Thanks, oh, thank you. You know, I have so many examples of what you just said. I don't know if I want to get that personal while I'm <laughs> on camera. But even walking up the stairs, there's yeah. um, there are times when I walk up the stairs and I go into the like, oh, my knees hurt. I'm getting old story, right? Yeah. And then yeah. my guides, my guides are always saying to me, reframe it. And I was like, what if I wasn't old and I can just run up the stairs? And so now I've trained myself that every time I walk up the stairs, I run up the stairs like I'm a teenager <laughs> oh, and wow. I don't experience 
sore knees. There is the odd time where I'm sort of doing my, oh, I'm tired, I'm going to be yeah. a pity, pity party, and I get on the first step and I go, oh, and then I'm like, is this the story I'm going to have? Oh, And then I reframe it in my mind, and it's so interesting, Francis, that immediately when you reframe something, wow. you have a different physical experience. I've got another experience of that, but I don't know if I want to get that personal. <laughs> Do I want to get that personal? <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> it's your but show. Yeah. Any, I know anything, maybe when we're not on camera. But yeah, so you've also just finished and uh, a new book called In the Company of Souls, which we, we actually came on this to talk about, but we got into the team experience. Uh, let's talk about that. What, what's, in, what's in the new book? Okay. Um, well, it was good that we talked about the some of these team book concepts because I have incorporated in this book because I don't know how to, to write about this subject matter without incorporating the team book concepts. So I've, I've got a lot of that kind of information in there because this is a collection of uh, experiences of a supernatural, if you want to call them that kind. Uh, some of them are psychic. Uh, some of them are intuitive. Uh, NDEs, um, out-of-body experiences, prophetic dreams, divine interventions, all kinds of experiences that I and 18 other people in my family and close group of friends, I call them all extended family because I have some friends who truly have been close with since I was a very young child, how, that we've all had. And not only are these of these kinds of experiences, I only chose those that had some verification. For example, somebody witnessed it along with the other person or someone had a dream, told people about it. I dreamed that such and such was gonna happen and then it happened. So we have some second party proof, if you, if you would, going on. It's not just, well, I had this experience. Uh, and involved more than one person. Um, it's been just a joy writing up all these. Uh, some people wrote their own, so uh, in their own voice, and then some I wrote for them or I helped them edit, you know. Um, so you have a lot of variety. You've got everything from humorous stories to sublime to very uh, spiritual or even religious blissfulness. Um, uh, some are startling. We have three or four that involved uh, some things that some people might consider frightening. Um, my sister, it's interesting that my sister, uh, two of her stories involved uh, something rather frightening and um, were physical manifestations. And actually she said more than that. We just didn't put them all in because we couldn't quite get that verification thing going. But these are really amazing. Um, and then we have uh, we have some that were life saving that saved people's lives because of divine guidance that was given to about somebody in a very dangerous situation. So, in in all of them, um, in in my in my foreword and in my closing statements and and about half half of the eighty six or eighty seven stories I think it is now that we, we have, about half are mine, but they involve one of these other people in my life, 
uh, as verification. And then the other half are all these other people. Um, anyway, I forgot where I was going with that thought, but, but because half of them are mine, I'm able to re relate a lot of what I experienced now to things I've learned in the team books and how that uh, principle was involved or how that lesson that I learned from that experience can be found later in the team book. So if you like the team books, I think you'll get a lot out of this. Um, and that's yes. Sorry, no. I was gonna say, do you wanna share one of the stories with us? Maybe one of the spooky ones, the scary ones? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I, I did, I did make a note here to, to share, um, to share one of them, the, the first, I'll share the first book and the uh, story in the book. Um, it's, uh, I, I, I just love this story. It has so many elements and it, it's written by, and um, uh, by Marie, who uh, I've known since I was three years of age. She's a year and a half older than me. We've been best friends since we were little kids. And our mothers, my mother, Teddy, who, who is, of course, the main uh, informant for the team books, her best friend was Vivian. And Marie is Vivian's daughter. Marie has quite a few stories in here. And they're really something to read. She's, a, she's a, uh, not only a loving and wise person, but one of the strongest people I've ever known. Uh, two of her children died in a house fire. And uh, she tells about the uh, experiences she's had about their children in this book. Uh, she's just a, a shining ray of light and joy in spite of what she's been through. And she's very psychic. So this is her story. And I'll, I'll summarize it here. The story is called We Need to Speak to Charles. She tells about how in 2012, she was spending the night with me and she was, I was asleep in the bedroom. She was asleep on the couch uh, in the sunroom. And this 2012 would have been two years after my mother died. So Marie and I had had all our lives, all kinds of experiences together. Our mothers had had them together. And here we are in the house where my mother uh, lived and died. And Marie's sleeping in the room where my mother died. So uh, two years after. So she dreams that um, someone knocked on the door. And she gets up in this dream. And she looks through the window. And she sees uh, a woman dressed in a beautiful a beautiful dress. And a man dressed in overalls with a, his name embroidered on, on it. And they're knocking on the door and saying, we got to come in. We got to use your telephone. We need to speak to Charles. And in the dream, she said, well, it's 3 a.m. in the morning. I'm not letting you in the house. And there's no Charles here. I'm sorry, you know, go away. And she, in her dream, she lies back down on this couch. And then instantly, there, um, the couch is against kind of some sliding glass doors. And instantly, they're knocking on the sliding glass door. So she looks up and there they are. And so she thought, well, these are spirits. They're not people. They really need to come in because they couldn't have materialized there. And she lets them in and they go to the phone and the man picks it up and he's, he calls Charles and says, 
son, I just want you to know I've got your sister. Don't worry. She's with me and she's fine. And he hangs up the phone. And then Marie sees embroidered on his shirt the name Sammy. And they leave. So she tells me this dream in the morning when we get up. And I said, Marie, the guy that just rented the house, because the property where I live has a hat, two houses. And I had one rented and I was living in one. I said, this man is named Charles. And she said, well, this was a black man and woman that came to the door. I said, he's a black man that rented my house. His name's Charles. I said, I think we have to go tell him this. She said, oh, is that going to be strange? I said, yeah, it is. But I, I just feel like we have to do it. So we went over, knocked on the door. Charles answers the door. He looks all disheveled, all dismayed. And we start to tell him this and we get about halfway through and he just bursts into tears. And he says, my sister died during the night. And I just got the call that she died. And my dad's name's Sammy. And he said, my sister was always going to church, always dressed up. And that's how she appeared to Marie. And he said, my dad was a mechanic and he wore a mechanic's uniform. So Marie, without even knowing who rented that house, without knowing a single thing about that man, and me not knowing anything about the sister dying because it had just occurred, dreamed. And those people visited her. Those spirits visited her. And we, we realized that it was so powerful because if, if he had dreamed it, he would have thought it was his own imagination, you know, about his sister. Yeah. But because it came through people that had no idea that, that the dad was named Sammy, that he would have worn a mechanic's uniform, and that the sister had died that night, um, it, it, he knew it was real. And we all knew it was real. So that's one of them. <laughs> but how did that information impact him? Was he comforted? Did it? He, he was. He... Oh, he was. He was yeah. just, he said, oh, gosh, you know. Dad, it, it, his dad came through to say, don't worry about your sister. I've got her. I've got her. Mm -hmm. I've got her. And it, it helped him tremendously. Mm. And this, this was a renter. You know, we, I really didn't know him on a personal level really at all. And Marie had never known him and, and didn't know, you know, had no way of knowing who was living in that house. So because this came, there were three people involved. And because it came without any prior information, you know, this has strong credibility and verification. So, yeah, the scary ones, <laughs> my sister, uh, she really had a, a very frightening one. And the boyfriend that she was living with as well, they uh, moved into an apartment. And um, my sister saw a man there in the apartment when she arrived and she thought it was a man putting in the cable. That's how physically present he was. He was there in flesh and blood. Yeah. But then he vanished and she was in the process of moving boxes. She was like, where did he go? But she didn't know what to make of it. So she just sort of let it go. And then later, once the boyfriend was there and they were moved in and, and uh, watching a movie on together on the couch, he walked right across in front of them and then vanished into the wall. And with after some research, and there's many more details in the book, the way she describes it all. 
because he they saw him a few more times. But uh, the way she did some research and found out who this man was and that he had died in the house and the way he had died and so forth. And you know, he, he had killed himself and, uh, and the place he kept walking across was where he had died. But I want to point out, because I think, and I point this out in the book, it's very important for anyone who is concerned about a loved one who had who died by suicide or anyone who died in a traumatic way or, or the idea that somebody's like stuck or they're still present and they can't leave a disturbing place. That what I understand from the two books is that because of this continuum of time is turned upright rather than being lengthwise, like we are living it and everything's happening on top of each other, that when a, a soul decides to manifest at that certain point where that occurred, they are not trapped. It is simply that they are extending an aspect to that place for a reason. It doesn't mean their entire being is trapped in that location, nor is that aspect trapped, but they may choose to show up at that place for particular reasons to particular people um, or just like, just like we might revisit um, a childhood park that we grew up in. And we just want to kind of remember and we want to kind of go back in time or we might even move back to a community that we grew up in or we lived in at one time because we want we have a project there we want to do to help people out because we have memories of that place and we might choose to dwell there for a while in our life uh, the soul can extend aspects to do that very same thing in different locations so we we need not fear that somebody is truly trapped. permanently trapped in some way. Yeah. But mm, that, that is... was a bit frightening, you know, and it involved uh, well, other people and, and other proof of, uh, she even went back recently and uh, spoke to the people that are there now. Um, uh -huh. It's been 25 years or 30 years or something to get more information. And that's in the book. It's interesting, this concept of ghosts and um, this concept yeah. of souls being trapped on earth. And, you know, there've been Hollywood shows about it or right. television shows about it, like um, moving souls on and crossing them over because they're trapped. And because yeah. it's a big concept that is discussed in yeah. the spiritual consciousness arena. And a lot of people buy into this concept of trapped souls and I've got to save souls. And when I've yeah. spoken to my mob about it, they have said exactly to me what you just said. And I oh, have never good. heard anybody else ever say oh, that. Oh, good, good. I've never heard anyone. Like there's no trapping. You know, you you, you, <laughs> humans, you think about this whole thing in the linear time, but you have to understand that yeah. time is not linear. Yeah. But do you want to just go into that a little bit more about the concept of a ghost? Like what? what <laughs> I know you just said it. You just said it, but it, it's worth repeating. What is uh, you a know, ghost? Well, you know, one time, and it's interesting, like one time after my mother died, um, and I'd been getting all this information from the books and everything, I was dozing on the couch again in the house where she died, in the room where she died. And I saw her, and I have seen in there in the books, I have had experiences of visual, seeing visually um, 
at times. And I saw her in a wheelchair, looking very frail, being pushed by someone across the room. And this threw me for a loop, really did. And I talked to somebody who was a good friend of ours. Uh, she's quoted in the book quite a bit, uh, Carol Joe, about what that could be. And she said, you know, you're seeing not her, you're seeing a vibratory memory that is lingering in the room where she was sick. And sometimes what we think is a ghost is a vibratory memory in a particular location. Um, yes. There are, I mean, this earth, it's funny you talk about uh, what kids sometimes say. My granddaughter the other day, we, we all went on a big trip, this particular family that I spent a lot of time with them, the granddaughters that I'm very close with, these two, Matilda and who was born, the one that was predicted to come by, by uh, my mother. Anyway, we went on a trip. They took me along uh, with them to Europe uh, just the last few weeks. And we were talking about history things and lots of things of that nature. And the nine-year-old granddaughter said, you know, Fafa, they called me Fafa. We're walking on bones, people everywhere. Because we were talking about the thousands of years of history of this building and that building and this, and, you know, trying to instill something in their head. She said, it's zillions of bones and people and bodies and animals and, you know, going on. And we discussed that, you know, because it's so very true. And I also pointed out to her that we're all walking on the shoulders of all the inventions that have been made. You know, we think we're doing things ourselves. We are all benefiting from the, from the inventions, the artistic, the musical, the technical, the, every kind of invention that's on this earth, every kind of building, all the memories. We come in and we pick up where they left off. And we're walking on the shoulders of everything that ever was done, thought, said, felt, all of us. And so we're walking on, on this earth that is full of vibratory memories. And it doesn't mean souls are trapped there. It actually can be something can literally manifest in that spot simply from a vibratory memory. And there are stories in this book that tell about, um, well, my sister had a, an experience, uh, a terrible car accident she was in in her 20s. And um, a boyfriend she'd had in her teen years who had died from an accidental, somebody had a gun in the gas station, it went off and he was working at the gas station and it killed him. It went straight through his forehead. So my sister was in this dreadful car wreck. She was broken up and injured. She went through the windshield. They couldn't believe she wasn't, uh, didn't have brain damage. But nothing happened to her head and her forehead, except for one spot in her forehead that was badly cut and scarred. It was exactly where the boyfriend had been injured. And this, we, we were told by a medium who came in and spontaneously spoke to my sister about what had happened and this boyfriend from eight years ago she knew all about him. She knew he had died that way. And she said he came in and was able to protect Kelly's body from and her head from severe harm 
except for that one spot because of the vibratory memory he brought with him of that injury. So, wow. yeah, it's described so much better in the book, I have to say, in the more details. Um, but it's all about vibratory memory. And yeah. it doesn't, or it could be we, we, we may extend an aspect of ourselves to revisit that place for a particular reason. But we're not, the souls are not permanently and, and horribly uh, trapped. And, and they have a whole team. If they, if they do get too attached to returning to that experience or trying to uh, come through to somebody about it, they do have a whole team that is counseling them. And it's not their entire being. It is only an aspect of them. The it's rest of them are, yeah, yeah, it's not. Don't think, oh, my loved one's entire being is, you know, in right. that place. It's not, yes. it's not so. We're so much more than just That's, the, oh, the yeah, partial okay. aspect. We're so we're, much more. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody yeah. asked me, who was it? Who was it? I think it was Moon on her new podcast show. Go and check it out. I have to get the name. Uh she asked me a question, what is consciousness? And I'm like, whoa, nobody's ever asked me that question. So I channeled it like I just asked the mob. And um, yeah, they were just saying it's the awareness of your multidimensional aspects. And like I was talking to you before, like I was saying that I was aware it was me and I called my guidance, my common sense. And then I was aware that maybe I have a spirit guide and I thought it was one person. And then maybe there's a team and maybe it's big. like the awareness just gets ever and ever and ever yeah. bigger. And that's the expansion of my consciousness while I'm physically focused. But you know what I'd like to discuss now that we're sort of on this trajectory? Um, the concept of hell, because, again, a lot of people are debating, is there hell? You know, can you get trapped in hell and, you know, religion? And what is the team books or the team? What have they said to you about hell? I have not seen the word hell in the books. So that that book that that word has not been used, mm -hmm. but so maybe that concept. Yeah, go on. Yeah, I've seen. There's a there's a chapter called "What Is the Eternal Now," and it points out that if if I, if you and I speak about now, we're thinking in human time. So we're going to think of one second, perhaps, or perhaps a millisecond, but we're thinking of now this fragment of time as we measure it. If you think about the formation of a galaxy or some slow process, that now could be compared to our second billions of years and that still could be a now for that process. And so, all right, now I'm losing my train of thought, but it's going back to what you said. Ask me that question again. <laughs> What did, your question. Team, what did the team book say about the concept of hell, hell. as so, we discuss it as humans? You know, you yes, in our, in, in, in our life review, um, you know, people have had near-death experiences where they felt like they went into some kind of darkness and or or even into some kind of bliss, and they were there for thousands of years, and yet they could, they come out of their illness or their surgery or whatever opportunity gave them the opportunity to leave the body and it had only been 30 minutes or an hour or 10 minutes 
So what is time, you know? So I think this idea of hell or being an eternal, a feeling of eternal time or darkness, or we don't know what our review, how, how we will go through that review and what particular periods of time it might feel like. And I do think it's possible that if a soul, you know, people always use the example of Hitler because to us, that's one of the ultimate horrors. If, if, if it's true, and it does say in the team books that we review our life by looking at our perspective, our team's perspective, our impact on others, what they felt in their interaction with us, and what their state through our, the interaction with us, what their ripple effect was on other people. Um, we see all of this. And the team books also say we, we see our lifetime as it fits in with all our lifetimes. And we also see our lifetime as it fits in with the entire span of human history, which includes past lives, but it also includes just seeing, mm -hmm. seeing how we fit in the whole puzzle. Mm. So if someone like Hitler could see that, it might feel like hell and it might feel like endless time of review to see how the pain rippled out. Um, but I'm, I think that's, that's really all I could say is, is because every definition of hell is eternal pain and eternal separation from God. Yeah, eternal separation. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of how it's described. It's, yeah. So if we see the ripple effect of our entire existence, you know, the magnitude of pain caused uh, by choices of, of someone of his nature might, might indeed create uh, a period of time. But the important thing to realize, and I even talk about it in this new book, in The Company of Souls, it doesn't matter who it is or how horrific it is. Ultimately, they are given the opportunity to move out of that, to make recompense, and to become part of the solution of the pain they caused. It says in the team books, if you are marked, marching on the streets today for peace and holding up the placards for peace. And that's, for example, that that cause is what you are drawn to. It's very likely you signed your name on the dotted line for war in the past. Yeah. Whatever we're called to most passionately to fix, if you want to call it, certain, mm -hmm. like in my lifetime, I worked for years, for 20 something years, with refugees. It was my passion. I know other people, if their passion is to work with disabled children, another mm -hmm. passion might be the environment or, or, you know, working with. So whatever that deep calling is, you're, you're very, that the books say we're all uh, wash painting over our own graffiti. <laughs> I love so, that. We're, 
we're, we're all, all painting over our own, over graffiti. Our own graffiti. So we're, we're like this about a subject matter. It's because we were part of creating those conditions that we're now involved in correcting, which is wonderful. But at the same yeah. time, we cannot go around bashing everybody else that isn't you know, aware of that yet. They're simply not aware. And so what I was saying about Hitler or hell or any of anybody, ultimately that everyone is given a way to make up for, if you want to call, or correct or heal, just heal everything. In the mind of God, everything is healed and everybody is given the opportunity to become whole and to heal. And, and, I say in this book about forgiveness because a lot of times people die and we, we part them in bad ways and we don't, we don't have forgiveness and we're torn up over a certain person. And we might, and people have said, I don't, I don't want them to have a chance to make up for it. They did these horrible things and I, I don't want to forgive them. And I don't mm. want them to, 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 to uh, improve or to grow spiritually or, or, or develop uh, up the ladder of consciousness, if you were. But we are to want for everyone, including the Hitlers, total and complete spiritual development and healing and compassion and forgiveness and the opportunity to, to because it's just like if there's a war going on, you want that war to stop because it's going to spill over to other places. If there's a fire down the street, you want to put it out before it comes to the whole neighborhood. You cannot just designate, no matter who it is, to eternal hell with no opportunity to grow and to compensate. Mm -hmm. There's a huge amount of information in this particular book, The Company of Souls, about that subject. Because... So many people do experience their loved one passing over and not having that and, and ho holding terrible grudges. And I hope this book can help people get through that. We are to release them to universal law because it is between them and their God to work through that. We are not, uh, we are not here to refine anyone's nature except our own. Mm -hmm. It's between them, and we, we release them to universal law to handle it, and it will be handled. And it will be handled, absolutely. Oh, Francis, what a beautiful way. I'm going to um, finish the live now, and we'll go uh, just, we'll um, just, uh, stumbling <laughs> over my words, <laughs> just talk to the people who are on Zoom with us and, and do a Q&A. Okay. So we're not live, but I just want to read out what Dan says here. Thank you so much, Francis. Fantastic. Great. I just bought all the team books because you've inspired oh. me so much. Blessings, Dan, in oh. Sydney. Thanks, Karen. I oh. think that Dan might have gone. Uh, how to bring positive aspects from our soul into the physical being. Uh, what does this say? Joanne, such a calm and courageous when feeling gripped by fear. Well, we'll address that in the Q&A. There's a couple of questions here that Lorenzo's got another question here. So I want to thank you for being with us for the live and thanks everybody who's been listening live. Um, we've been on several platforms, of course, YouTube and Facebook and the Facebook groups and all over the place. 
So thank you for people who've been listening live and we'll just finish the live now and chat to our little team, our Zoom tribe. Okay, great. Bye-bye. <laughs> thank you, everyone. Thanks again, Francis. Thank you.